You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I am here with my friend, Greg Roulette. Greg is from Ambitious.com. He is a uh, author, media expert. He is all over the internet, uh, especially <laughs> with his show, Ambitious Adventures, that I was just checking out on entrepreneur.com. Uh, the list goes on and on. And Greg, you won an Emmy since the last time we talked. Oh, man. Uh, it's, yeah. been, it's been a little while. You're a repeat guest. So I'm, I'm pumped to have you back and, and catch up. Uh, I'm in Lyon, France today. I think you're there at your office in Orlando. And uh, yeah, welcome back. Yeah, man, in Orlando, and uh, you know it's summertime, so it's 100 degrees outside, and France sounds really, really, really fun right now, man. Excited to chat with you. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, France is also warm, not 100, but they don't have air air conditioning, and they don't have even fans, <laughs> so it, it kind of balances itself. I, I might out. be winning. Yeah, I got yeah, air conditioning. I, so. I think so. <laughs> And, and honestly, I'm here in our, our co-working space in France, uh, where under 30 has uh, their office. And this is air conditioning. But every Airbnb that I've been in so far, I think I've been in four uh, across London and France, nobody's had air conditioning. Or I got one fan for, the, for this past week. So anyway. Nice. Uh, so you won an Emmy. Let's, let's get to that. What's, what's, what's that all about? Yeah, man. So I was probably hanging out with close to your under 30 guys over in the Dominican Republic. So we went out there uh, and shot a really, really cool documentary called Return to Esperanza. Esperanza being the Spanish word for hope. And uh, it's a really cool organization down there founded by Dave Valley, who is a former baseball player for the Seattle Mariners. He's now the Seattle Mariners like color commentator. So he calls play by play for the Mariners. And when he was back trying to make it in the 80s, early 90s, uh, he would play winter ball down in the Dominican Republic. And kids would come up to him all the time. And being American and being a baseball player, you think that they're wanting autographs, right? Like sign my baseball, sign my cards, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but what they really wanted was food. Uh, you know, they, they wanted something to eat that night. And, you know, so he did what, you know, everyone that has a couple dollars did. He went to the corner store, bought him some rotisserie chickens and stuff like that. And, you know, really, you know, thought he did a good deed. And his wife turned to him and said, you know what, that, that was really nice. But guess what? They need food tomorrow. And they're going to need food the next day. And they're going to need food the next day. You didn't really change. Yeah, sure, they're not going to be hungry tonight, but you didn't really change anything. And it really hit home. And he started this organization to do micro loans for women-owned businesses in the Dominican. And these are, you know, if you've heard of Kiva, you know, organizations like that that do these $50, $100, $200 loans, very similar. And they do, uh, you know, loans to women owned businesses and they chose women because the men just go buy gold chains and beepers and, uh, the women actually put it back into the family and reinvest. And I mean, these could be anything from, you know, hundred dollars and they go buy two pigs and they grow the pigs uh, and then they sell the pigs for $200 and then they go buy four pigs and then they go buy eight pigs. And all of a sudden they got a corner market to, you know, someone now who, you know, she started out doing that and then you know, open like a corner store, like a K, a, you know, a ghetto version of KFC or something like that. Uh, and now she bought the property next door and she runs a hotel. So she's got the corner store. She's got the hotel and just amazing businesses that were started for a hundred dollars. And, uh, we went down there for a week, uh, filmed a, a documentary about the progression of these businesses and the women, the way it's affecting the world and, uh, submitted it to the Suncoast Emmys, which is a, a regional Emmy, uh, and, uh, you know, won one. So, you know, Damn. pretty, uh, Pretty, pretty cool. And, you know, it just I think it just goes to show that, you know, people want to see these powerful, inspirational stories. You don't have to be Elon Musk. You don't have to be these guys doing, you know, billions of dollars. You know, look at what a hundred dollars can do for someone who's in poverty when you give them the right mindset training, when you give them accountability uh, and when you give them a, a plan of success. You know, these people are are just as inspirational as the big names we hear about, you know, on social media all the time. Congratulations on that. Uh, microfinance is, is something that we've looked at quite extensively with under 30 experiences. And as we bring people to these different uh, communities all over the world, uh, especially in, in countries like Costa Rica and Peru, and, you know, like you said, gold chains and beepers are what most of the men uh, spend the money on. I mean, we usually, we usually go straight <laughs> out with it and say drugs and prostitutes, because that is, yeah. you know, that, that is it's where, the truth. Yeah. yeah, that that's, that's how it happens. And where the women have the mothering instinct and want to make sure that they that they uh, save that money and, and feed their families with it. And so supporting those women-owned businesses is, 
is uh, so important. So that that's really cool. So you got to see, you got to go down and see the projects. And uh, yeah, could you tell tell us a little bit more about your experience uh, and the hands on stuff? Yeah. So I remember one of the, the one of the women that we featured in the documentary. Like we went to her pig farm. And so when you think of a farm in the United States, you know, you're thinking of like going to in the middle of like Iowa somewhere, and you're going to go see a pig pen, and you're, it's going to be all nice. They're going to have this nice barn. I mean, this was straight like trees and mud, and the pig was just. You know, it just it wasn't what you would you know, think of of what these things are, and but it was really cool to see her and how she trained the pigs and how the pigs had babies and how she had this whole operation and she had hired you know a, a lot of the local kids to come in and you know feed the pigs and to let them out and to clean the pens and you know get them ready for sale and so it was just again really cool to see the different perspectives. Uh, one of the other women, the the one who had the the store that I was talking about, again when you think of convenience store in the United States, you think of you know a Seven Eleven or a Wawa or a racetrack like you know, one of these nice gas stations. I mean, it is literally, uh, you know, a concrete hut, you know, that is just four walls, um, you know, straight cement blocks, concrete block. And, you know, on the wall, you know, she's got, you know, the, the breads and the rice and the beans and band-aids and, you know, just the necessities to get people through life. And, and then, you know, but she's so happy. And I think the other thing that you saw from it was, you know, she was kind of the originator. Uh, she got her first loan more than 20 years ago, uh, more than 20 years ago, she got her first hundred dollars. Her daughter has now gone into business and started another store that is like a, a mini restaurant that's attached to this store. And now her daughter, so now granddaughter, um, is uh, about to start her first business too, because she's now 18 and she just got out of school. And she's so the generational effect and seeing how it didn't stop with me. And I think that's one of the ways to, to actually end poverty is when you break the cycle for future generations, because it's easy for me or you to get out of it. But now how do we, how do our children get affected and how do our children's children get affected? And to see now a third generation get into entrepreneurship and be excited. Like I, I can't like in the interviews, it's all in Spanish, but you can hear their excitement of like, I can't wait to start my business. Like how like inspiring is that? Not like, wow. oh yeah, my, I have no hope and life is bad here. You know, again, these people, it, it's four concrete blocks, but they're excited to start their business because they have something to fight for. I'll never forget, um, I was a, we throw an event at the United Nations every year and one year we had Jeff Hoffman, uh, former CEO of Priceline. And he, he came in and he just told us that the entrepreneurship is the way to break the cycle of poverty because it gives people hope. Uh, and hope just means that they believe tomorrow is going to be better than how their life is today. And when people have hope, they don't do things like become suicide bombers. They don't do things like, you know, rape people, kill people, rob people, steal from people because they have hope that tomorrow is going to be better. And when you have a business and you think that someone depends on you to open your doors, so you can sell them the chicken or you can sell them the pig or you can sell them the, you know, the rice and the beans, you have hope that tomorrow is going to be better than it is today. And to me, that's just such a powerful way to look at life and entrepreneurship. And you see it in the eyes of these women that they shouldn't be hopeful, like compared to like what we have, like I'm in a nice studio and I got air conditioning. You don't have air conditioning. So you're living third world today. But, <laughs> you know, we have we have all these things that we take for granted yet in this shack, you know, in this mud pigsty pen, they're more hopeful than we are here when we're going to college. Like, ah, I got to go to class today. Life sucks. I, you know, like you, we have everything and every possibility. And these people are so excited to sell a pig. You know, like, and they're excited about it. They're not depressed. They're not complaining. They're, they're just, they're so full of life. And, and to me, that's what I'm going to take away from that kind of an experience is seeing how full of life they are, even in situations that would make us go like, oh, that, that sounds terrible. But to them, it's the best possible situation because they're not in prostitution. They're not in the system. They're not relying on welfare. They're not relying on the government. They've made a life that is of their own making. And I think that's, that's so inspirational. That's amazing. Uh, I, I really appreciate that perspective, of course, that that travel teaches you and and that entrepreneurship teaches you as as well. I, I'm curious, uh, you said that, okay, yeah, the kid going through college or, or maybe they're at their first uh, handful of jobs after school and you're just going through the motions and, you know, what you're doing isn't isn't really exciting you. So I, I, I'm curious uh, what you've seen kind of crossing over from the micro entrepreneurship to what's happening in our own country in the United States uh, trying to get people out of out of their rut because while we and and don't get me wrong there's lots of poverty in the United States and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe there are people listening right now who uh, are living in, in impoverished conditions right but 
everybody needs that hope. So where do you see the crossover, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, man. So uh, it's funny. I was just in Iowa uh, for the past week and out there, again, life's a little different than it is in like in New York City or in LA or even just here in Orlando. People sure. are very con- content with their lives. And, I- and I'm okay. If you actually like your life, you know, I- I- I'm not here to tell you that everyone should be an entrepreneur. I don't think so. I also don't think that everyone should do what you do and travel the world. Like that's not for everyone. Um, what-, what I don't like is people that leave up their life to the dependence on others. So the dependence on the government, it's the government's fault that I'm in $100,000 of student loan debt. No, you are like you made that decision. You made that decision to take out those loans and use that money to go to the bar and spend, you know, hundred bucks a night, you know, uh, in addition to books and room and board and, and, and school, the people who are dependent on their parents, the people who are dependent on, you know, ah, well, there's no job for me and, and, or whatever their situation is. I've always been of the mindset and I I like to teach the mindset that no, it's on you. Like it's up to us to create our own reality. If you're listening to this podcast, that means you do probably have that opportunity, right? Now, some of these people like in the Dominican or in Costa Rica or in Panama, especially stuff that's like going on in Venezuela, there are things outside of people's control that is, you know, hindering them. But here in the United States, if you don't have the life that you like, you have options, you have choices, you have, uh, one of my mentors, Dan Kennedy on the marketing side, uh, always jokes that, You know, when you get in your car and you go on the highway, there's these giant green signs that tell you how to go to the next exit and get the hell out of Dodge. Like there, you know, like you have the ability to do that. If there's not a job, you can go and create one. You can now like go drive Uber or go lift it or go like there's nothing stopping you except for your own dependence on whatever that it is, your own blame. You're not accepting responsibility for your life. I've uh, I've been fortunate. Uh, one of the other things that we haven't caught up on. So I've been. Uh, I, I was one of the producers on the 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 movie on the life of Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup for the Soul and Success Principles. And one of the biggest things I learned from him. It's the first success principle in his book. But hearing him talk about it is, you know, we have to take 100% responsibility for our life. We are the ones who are responsible for the outcomes that we get for our actions based on, you know, what happens to us. You know, sometimes we, I can't control if it's raining or not today. What I can control is my reaction to it. Am I going to let that, you know, be a Debbie Downer for me? And I mean, I'm sure you guys see it in travel all the time. These people spent a ton of money to come out on this trip with you guys. And it freaking rained on the day that they're supposed to go paddleboarding. But it's their decision at that point in time to say this ruined the trip. Or how can we make the most of this? How can we all get together and do something inside or play some games or make something up or hell, let's just go paddleboard in the rain. Like let's, but let's make the most of it. You have that decision. And I think the, so the crossover from these people in the Dominican versus the people here is, you know, when people have that hope, they have this sense of independence that it's on them to make it happen. Now these women in the Dominican, it's on them. They got the loan. They, 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 they were fortunate enough. They took it, but now it's on them to raise the pig, make the pig bigger, get it nice and fat. So people want to pay for it, for the bacon and all that. And then they sell it. And now they have, you know, double the income. They pay the loan back. They go back and they like, they know that now life is on them. They're no longer dependent on the government. They're no longer dependent on, you know, whatever it is. You know, I'm not a very political person not to weigh in on any of the insights. But if you are waiting for the government to fix your life, that's not a good place to be in. Um, You know, that I want to be out of control of that. Now, of course, are there laws? Are there things? Yeah, I got it. But you need to be in control of what you do. And that was a long rant. But I think that so many people here, uh, you know, we're dependent on other people. We blame other people for the circumstances we're in instead of taking responsibility. And these women in the Dominican, people like Jack Canfield, they've all taught me. And I've always had that that mindset of if if it is to be, it's up to me. Like I got to go and I got to make it happen. You know, you you woke up one day and you're like, I want to travel. And guess what? There were probably plenty of people saying, Matt, that's crazy. Don't go do it. You're going to start a travel company. You have this great blog and you have hundreds of thousands of readers. Like, why are you going to go start this travel? You're like, because I want to do it and I'm going to make it happen. Like come hell or high water. Like, you know, you, no one like just, you know, woke up one day and like, hey, Matt, here's a couple of million dollars. Go start a travel company. Like you did it on your own. And, and to me, that's what's inspiring about the time that we live in today uh, and the people who are taking advantage of the opportunity that's in front of them. Sure, sure. So, so where did you learn this mindset? You, you mentioned, uh, well, you, you personally have people <laughs> like Dan Kennedy and Jack Canfield in your life, but anybody can go pick up their books. And I know yeah. that's where you started. I've known you for, for more than 10 years now, I think. Yeah. Uh, so 
I, you know, I, I've seen your growth. And so, yeah, you might have started by reading these books and then progressed to being in the same league with these guys in the same meetings with these guys, which is incredible. So where did you learn that mindset that you weren't just going to throw down the, or, or, you know, maybe you did, you did go to, I know you went to UCF and uh, kind of, sort of, yeah, yeah kind of, sort of, <laughs> but you didn't, you have a different yeah. mindset. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a great question. And, uh, I, I'm sure I've told you this story, whether on the podcast or just in, in real life is, you know, back when I was 17, 18, I wanted to be a rapper. And, you know, at the time there was Marky Mark and there was Eminem. Like that was it. Like those are the only two white dudes that were rapping. And, you know, so, and I'm in this little town, Tamarack, Florida, Coral Springs, Florida, there is no one going to my high school and saying, oh, cool, you're a white kid. Let's give you a record deal. Here's millions of dollars. Go on MTV, go on TRL. There was no one doing that. So I was just like, well, screw it. I'll just figure out how to do it myself because I want this end result. So I got a job. I worked at a Mexican restaurant and I bust tables, worked as soon as I turned 18, I turned into a server, uh, waiting tables. And I took all the money that I made on, and this is like sacrificing. So Friday night when everybody's out at the keg parties and having a good time, I'm busting tables. Saturday night, same thing. I worked a double shift all day Sunday. And then come Monday, I got a few hundred bucks in my pocket and I took it right down to the local recording studio. So remember, it's dancing. Sanitarium Studios in the hood in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it was 40 bucks an hour. And, you know, for three hours, I'd bang out a song. So 120 bucks. And guess what? I got a song. 10 weeks later, I got an album, you know, and then I, you know, saved up a thousand bucks, went to the local disc printing place and bought a thousand CDs. And, you know, that's how much it cost back then, you know, a thousand buck a CD. And then on Friday nights, I wasn't working, you know, the Mexican place and I would sell the CDs for five bucks a piece. So you make four dollars. And that was my mindset of like, you know, no one's going to do this for me. I got to do it for myself. Um, I was listening to guys at the time. This is like uh, the era of like the hip hop mogul. So you have like your masterpiece and no limit records and cash money records and all these places. And I was just like, they just sold records out of the back of their trunk. I'm like, cool, I'm just going to do the same thing. I'm just going to go to the high school party, you know, when everybody's nice and drunk and I'll be like CDs, five bucks, you know, um, same exact thing happened. Uh, you mentioned Ambitious Adventures. You know, I wanted to uh, host a reality show. And it, actually, the idea came when we were in the Dominican. I had one too many cocktails after filming. And I just was like, you know, I, I love Anthony Bourdain. It was one of my favorite shows. And uh, but I, I'm not a big foodie guy. I would love to see the world through the eyes of entrepreneurs because they're the people giving people jobs and boots on the ground. And everybody around me thought it was a terrible idea. But I was like, well, I want to try it. So I took my own cash, my own money and shot a pilot. You know, it cost me about 10 thousand dollars out of my own pocket to shoot a pilot and we shopped it around showed it to people didn't really get much traction uh and and i was like well i still want to do this and so most people again would have shut down and i found a guy brandon t adams who uh, was doing crowdfunding at the time he just did uh john lee dumas's freedom journal helped him raise i remember it was four hundred fifty thousand dollars for a journal and he was like hey I'll help you out. Um, just make me the co-host and I'll run your Kickstarter campaign for you. A little more intricate than that, but I'm trying to do the cliff note version. And, uh, you know, we ended up raising $50,000 in 28 days and went to six cities across the United States, shot a reality show. Uh, then we had it. It was done. It was actually really freaking good. Uh, we had amazing guests like Jack Canfield, like Lewis Howes, uh, Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, Caleb Maddox, the youngest millionaire speaker, uh, Joel Kahn, like just amazing people. And we started shopping it to production companies and this and that. And every but he gave us every excuse about why they wouldn't pick it up. Uh, the biggest one being that we only had white guys in it. Um, apparently you need diversity in this world today, which again, we make mistakes. Um, ultimately, uh, sold it to entrepreneur.com and, uh, they picked it up and a great partner to us. And then it just got picked up by Amazon. So now it's on Amazon prime. And again, uh, that was all through just us being like, well, it's, if it's up to be, it's up to me. And so we just did it. You know, we put our head down, we got told no a million times but we believed in it. And we knew that, you know, the world would be better if more people saw it. So that's kind of been the theme of my life is if I want to go do something, I got to go and create it. It's not just going to fall in my lap. And, and that's just kind of been the theme for my life, man. I was never handed anything. I, you know, my dad dropped me off to college with no car, no money, no bank account, no nothing. He put my shit right in the living room and he was like, peace out. And I was like, Oh, I got to figure this thing out real fast. And I was working construction a week later and just, you know, you, you, when you're put in those positions, you, I tend to think you figure it out rather than having everything handed to you, given to you and all that fun stuff. That's awesome. That that's that's really great. And uh, you might not have known it at the time that your dad was doing you a favor, but uh, biggest favor ever. But I hated right? him at the moment. Like you know, like <laughs> of course. And speaking of white rappers, I'm sure I told you this at some point. But did you? You probably know who he is. You remember 
uh, Jamie Drastic from the first uh, making the making the band. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I went to high school with that kid. Oh, that's amazing. That's yeah. too funny. I don't know if he's still alive, but uh, he, <laughs> he cried on MTV during the the first. Uh, yeah, he cried in front of Diddy. And, oh man. Uh, yeah, John Jay, John Jay High School representing. That's so funny. Um, okay, so uh, the mindset, of course, is is an incredible. Um, I'm curious how you developed your mindset to be able to hustle your way into the room with the type of people that you've mentioned. How did you build your network? Great question. So uh, a lot of different answers. And some of them will be a little unconventional. Some of them may be more conventional. But um, uh, Peter Diamandis, someone who uh, I was part of filming his documentary with my partner, Nick, too, and he talks about this thing called the line of super credibility. And Peter Diamandis launched the X Prize, which was a $10 million private funded prize to see who could build a spaceship that would go up into suborbital space two times in the span of whatever it was, 10 days or something like that. Um, and, uh, and so instead of waiting for NASA or the government or whatever it is to build the spaceship, he was like, I'll just give 10 million bucks to whoever can build a spaceship and send it out into flight. Now, uh, when he launched the idea for the X Prize, um, it, it's very easy to just, all right, I'm going to send out a press release and I'll send an email out to my email list and be like, hey, I got this $10 million prize. But then no one takes him seriously. Um, he gets no press coverage, like nothing like, oh, cool. Like this is crazy guy giving this $10 million prize. So instead, what he does is to launch the X Prize, he goes to the uh, arches in St. Louis, where the spirit of St. Louis, uh, the, the first flight around the world was took place. So he did it at this place that had historical reference. He does it right under the arches. He has, I don't remember the exact number, but 10 to 12 astronauts who've been to space, including Neil Armstrong sitting, or Buzz Aldrin sitting right there. He's got the president of NASA sitting right there. He's got senators and Congress people all around him. He's got a hundred news stations all there. And he says, I am launching this prize, this contest to fund the first private space flight. Now, what's more credible, sending an email to your email list and be like, hey, I got this prize or, you know, astronauts, Buzz Aldrin, NASA, all these people. And so he launched it above this line of super credibility and everyone took him serious. And so he got teams from all over the world who now wanted to win this prize because they're like, this dude must be freaking legit or else why, why would he have done that? And I think that this is super important for anyone trying to launch anything is we underestimate how difficult some of these things that we're trying to do are. Um, and we also underestimate what it's going to take to get them done. So, you know, we just, you know, go on Facebook and we're like, huge announcement. I'm launching a business to like our 30 friends on Facebook. Like that's not above the line of super credibility. That's not, you know, going to get anyone excited. So you have to find that line of what's going to make people really, really pay attention. So when we did uh, Ambitious Adventures, so uh, Lewis House was one of the guests that we had for Ambitious Adventures. I didn't know him at like, I, I obviously I know of him, but like we're not buddies. I can't just call him or text him or, you know, send him an email and, and expect a reply. So we really wanted him on the show. We were doing an LA based show and, um, you know, we thought he would be a really good addition to the show. Well, he didn't know us from Adam. So we had to come in above the line of super credibility. So I had a relationship with Jack Canfield um, from doing the documentary and some of the other projects that we've done. And I'll talk about how I met Jack in a minute. So that way, you know, again, I'm going to show you guys a couple different methods. Um, and so uh, we hit up Jack and we're like, Jack, would you be in the show? Um, we're already filming you on this. So this is one thing too. Uh, another thing is to make it very easy for the other person to say yes. So with Jack Canfield, we had already booked him on a paid day where he was uh, going to be doing some TV stuff for us, which means we wrote him a big ass check to do work for us already. And we just said, Hey, um, we're going to be filming this reality show the same day that we've already paid you to film. Could you give us 15 minutes to interview you for this other show? So we made it really easy for Jack to say, yes, we didn't say, all right, we need another day of your time. We need another film crew. We need to come like, we need to disrupt your life and say, well, you're already here. Can we get another 15 minutes? So we made it really easy for Jack to say yes. So Jack said yes. So now when we send an email to Lewis, we say, Hey Lewis, uh, Jack Canfield's on board. Uh, you just had Jack on the School of Greatness. I talked to Jack about it. He said, you know, he had a great time on the show and he loved you and all this energy. Um, we're going to be filming him for our episode on this date. Um, you know, uh, we're going to be right around the street. Can we pop by the studio and interview you for an hour? And so we came in above that line of 
super credibility. Um, the other thing that we did is we had, you know, again, the Kickstarter. So, Hey, we launched this on Kickstarter. We raised $53,000. This is a legit production. Um, my production team was an Emmy award winning production team. So I'm not just bringing some hobos into your studio. Uh, we're going to bring in my Emmy award winning crew. Uh, here's some of the work that they've done. Here's the Emmy award winning documentary we did. So we came in so far, like it was really hard for Lewis to say no, because he's like, well, this shit really sounds legit, which it was, but it sounded that way as opposed to how many people probably send Lewis an email and they're like, Hey dude, I'd love to interview you for my podcast. We're going to record it on my iPhone and uh, we're going to do it from the back of my car. You know, like sure. that's how most people, you know, address it because they don't. So we came in above that line of super credibility, which made it easy for Lewis to say yes. So how can you, if you're trying to meet someone two steps, five steps, 10 steps above where you are, how can you come in with so much value above that line of super credibility? Think Peter Diamandis, spirit of St. Louis under those arches. Uh, and that's what we did. Now, the unconventional way that we've met a lot of people is we broke checks. Um, and, and this is something that people don't like to hear, but there is a pay to play mentality because it breaks through people's filters. Um, you know, because again, a, a guy like Lewis, especially right now, we're filming this at a time when his TV show just launched. He's got like one of the top hundred podcasts. Like he's a, he's an in-demand guy. So, you know, he has to put filters in place to say what opportunities are he, is he going to listen to versus what's not. And sometimes the easiest way to pay to play is joining their coaching program, joining their mastermind group. Um, so, you know, writing a big ass donation check to a charity on their behalf. Um, sometimes it's just finding a day of their time and, and paying for it. I know, again, this isn't the answer people want to hear because they want to feel like it's all, oh, I sent this cold email to this dude and he, you know, invested in my company. Um, one of our, and this is kind of like the, one of our secret weapons. Uh, there's this amazing site called charity buzz, uh, charitybuzz.com. And they do auctions for, uh, celebrities go on there, uh, for charity. And, you know, one of the auctions that we did was for, uh, Larry King. Uh, so Larry King had an auction. I don't remember what the charity was, but it was somewhere in the ballpark of five to $10,000. And you got breakfast with Larry King. Uh, and that five to $10,000 went to the charity of his choice. So we're like, all right, we'd like to meet Larry King. We think there's an opportunity there to do something with Larry King. Um, Larry King's not just going to answer my cold email. So we paid the five to 10 grand to go have to, and then we paid for a plane ticket. We went out to LA, you know, uh, my partner, Nick risked it all, you know, to go out there, had breakfast with him, uh, ended up pitching him on, Hey, can we do a documentary on your life story? Um, you don't have to pay anything. We'll fund it. Like we'll do everything. And Larry said, yeah, sounds, wow. sounds great. Right. So obviously there was a risk and a gamble, but Larry said, yes. Then we went to our clients and we got 20 of our clients to fund it, which made it a profitable endeavor for us. Uh, then, uh, because of the relationship with Larry, it went really well. We said, Hey Larry, um, can we take your interview from this documentary and turn it into a book chapter? And then can we get our clients to write a book with you? So now it's turned into two deals. Um, then we showed Larry the documentary and he's like, Holy crap, this is the greatest thing anyone's ever done on me. And he didn't charge me anything. How can we do more? And so we ended up starting a production company with Larry to start a new show called one-on-one -on -one with Nick Nanton, where, where Larry is now sending us guests. Think about how his Rolodex works Damn. all because we took a risk, wrote a check, did this thing. Now do all of those work? No, like we've done some of these things and gone to stuff and just, it hasn't gone anywhere. Um, but you know, you have to, at some point pay to play, take those risks and then parlay them into other opportunities. The Jack Canfield thing. Uh, Jack was at a, uh, uh, an uh, event that used to be thrown by Larry Benet called, uh, Sang speakers, authors, networking group. And we wanted to do a deal with, uh, Jack Canfield. And every time Nick would go out there, Hey, you know, he'd see Jack and he'd be like, Hey man, let's do some work. And Jack's like, Oh, I'm busy. I got things going on. And so Nick knew that if he was persistent, we, we get the deal done. So what we did, uh, is we took an, uh, we, sh I shot a video of Nick, uh, on my iPhone or however we shot it. And it was, it was Nick just saying like, Hey Jack. I know we always see each other. You're busy. I'm busy. But here's the deal. I want to send you a big ass check. If you will be a co-author in one of my books, you know, do you want this big ass check? You know, a better language than that. But that, that's the gist of the story. And uh, what we did is we put that video instead of sending it in an email, which most people would do like, hey, I just shot this video for you. We bought an iPad. So we spent five hundred dollars on an iPad. We erased all the apps and moved what we couldn't erase onto the second page. Um, we took a big sheet of paper and on the sheet of paper, we wrote Jack swipe up. And we had the video right there on. And so the home screen and the lock screen was this big piece of paper. And he hit the video thing and he played the video. Uh, then we FedExed the iPad to Jack's office. Um, and then we didn't hear anything for a while. We were like, damn, man, did we just buy an iPad for somebody? And we didn't hear anything. Um, and then Nick sees him at the whatever the next event was. They lock eyes and uh, Jack comes up to him and he's just like, 
I can't believe that you sent me an iPad like that. No one has ever sent me an iPad. Uh, and here's the deal. I wanted to send it back to you because I didn't know if I could do the deal. But my daughter found the iPad and she kept it. So now I feel like I have to do the deal with you now. Millions of dollars later, uh, documentaries later, you know, everything, uh, everything seemingly worked out pretty darn well. So, again, just some unconventional and different ways to network with people, grow businesses, um, you know, take some risks, some conventional, some unconventional, but just a lot of different thoughts there, hopefully for people. Incredible. That is, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm inspired by those stories. I'm sure everybody <laughs> listening is, if you want some super street credibility, I'll tell you that I almost got in a street ball fight with Lewis house. <laughs> He's a big boy too. It was, he is a big uh, dude. And we were, on the same, we were on the same team. I, I, I would like to invite him back, uh, or he's never been on the podcast, uh, but I'd like to invite him back and make some amends. It didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't, end, <laughs> didn't well. end well. Yeah, no, it really didn't. Um, but anyway, that's, yeah, I, I love the pay-to-play model. And sometimes you have to work your way up to be able to have the budget to pay-to-play. But if you can't access people with the cold email or you know you don't have the 500 bucks to spend yeah there are things that you can do along the way and you can get people's attention in the in the right uh by being creative but then mm -hmm. some some of these things like 20 grand to go you you mentioned yeah. peter diamandis i love uh i love his exponential wisdom podcast that he does with uh, dan, dan sullivan, sullivan. Yeah. And then I started looking into Dan Sullivan's program and it's yeah. 20 grand to yeah. go. Strategic coach is expensive. Yeah. yeah. You got to fly to Toronto quarterly and it would be certainly a big investment, but I'm very interested in doing a program like that, but that's pay to play, you know, and, and those are the guys, those are the yeah. types of uh, people I would like to have access to. And right. when you break it down monthly, if that's in your budget, uh, it's sure it's hard to write it. And I think, in fact, you do have to write a check for twenty grand straight for that up. one. You do, you yeah, do. But there's ways to do it. And there, there's ways it. to do it. Obviously, like so, I don't want people to do do dumb things, right? Uh, and I think you got to be smart. Uh, I'm also not the one who wrote the rules, right? So it's not like I wrote the rules. Like you got to pay to play. Like that. I'm a big fan of like understanding the game. And then playing the rules of the game, uh, you know, it, you don't always have to like things like in school, like the, the, the name of the game is you got to pass the test. So do what you got to do in order to pass the test. Right. You got to play the game because that, that's the game. Right. There's a sure. test at the end of the semester. So like in this, if, if whatever the end goal is, know the game. Like if you have to, you know, I, I get it all the time. I have a lot of industries that are heavily regulated that I do work in. I work with a lot of financial advisors. They have compliance officers. They have regulations. They can't make guarantees. They can't do all these things. And they always give me that excuse. Well, Greg, I have compliance, so I can't shoot video or I can't do this. I can do that. I'm like, you can. You just have to know the game. So if the game is we can't make guarantees or claims or tell people what stocks to pick in. Well, great. Let's not talk about that because all the, and at the end of the day, no one cares about that crap anyway. No one cares about your stock picks. You know, let's talk about their feelings and their emotions and the problems that they're going through. And let's talk about your story and your journey. And, you know, there's, everyone has an excuse. Um, but you, if that's the game that you chose to play, like if you chose to be a financial advisor, you chose that game. So we got to know the rules and we got to know how to play within those rules. If you want to network with the higher ups, you got to play that game. You, you, you got to get through their filter. Like you can't just call up Tom Cruise and be like, yo, Tom Cruise, yo, let's shoot a movie, dude. Like you got to go through the filter. You got to go through the agent, the publicist, the whoever it is. So whatever game you're trying to play, just figure out the rules and either figure out how to manipulate the rules, play by the rules, you know, uh, stretch the rules. But you've got to know the game that you're playing. And and work you know reverse engineer accordingly. Sure, yeah. Use use the rules to your advantage. Break the rules. Whatever you whatever you got to <laughs> do. Uh, and I, I love this concept still of of super credibility. And it'll probably be in the title of the, the episode. <laughs> I always name them name them after, of course, after yeah. we dig out some uh, some good stuff. I, I'm curious. Uh, we, so we were talking before off camera that I'm in the process of writing a book. Now I haven't yeah. told anybody. But you were probably the I'd say the fifth person or so. That nice. I, talked to I feel honored. This. You, you, yeah. You, uh, you're very welcome to uh, privy to the, this information. And I, of course, I respect your, your advice. So if I, so this is, of course, a personal question, but something that everybody can li uh, listen in on and, and take what crossovers there may be to whatever projects yeah. they're working on and how to gain super credibility for themselves. So if you wanted to go and launch a book, 
how would you establish super credibility uh, if you were me? Yeah, so uh, something that we talked about. So I think the publisher matters. Um, I, I do believe that right now everyone in the planet is selling a how to write a best selling book for 99 cents, you know, and doing the free ebook thing on 99 cent ebook on Amazon kind of thing. And to me, that's not a book. Like if your book is a pamphlet, it's not a book. Um, so sure. I, I think, so I do think, you know, uh, the, the publisher matters. Um, distribution matters. Um, I do think, you know, the title of the book matters. Uh, I think that your title is really good. Uh, We won't reveal all the details today, but having a title that isn't just generic, that isn't just like, you know, Twitter marketing, like how are you going to stand out? Like if I'm at Barnes and Noble or I go to books a million and I'm looking at the shelf, how does your book stand out and grab attention? And it does that from the title. We saw that from, you know, like the four hour work week, Uh, you know, Tim Ferriss openly talks about it all the time. Like he used Google AdWords and split tested things and, you know, all these different things like the four hour work week is a hell of a better title than how to outsource, like how to outsource you know, outsourcing was cool, but it's not super sexy and it's not going to sell. It's not going to be on the New York Times bestseller list for what, a, over a decade, you know? Um, so that matters. Um, endorsements, I do think matter at some level if they are of importance. So uh, let's just say you were going to write a travel book. Well, having an endorsement from, it's not going to happen because he passed away, but you know, having an endorsement from Anthony Bourdain would mean a lot right? Like that is an endorsement that would open doors for you. Getting an endorsement from, you know, just one of your students who traveled with you doesn't help you cross. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but that doesn't help you to sell books. Right. Um, so, so that kind of stuff matters. The forward again, if it's above the line of super credibility matters. Um, now not looking at the book's content, all that, I'm going to assume you're going to write a great book. Um, looking at the book launch, um, partners matter. Who is helping you to launch this thing? Um, are you going on, you know, a level podcasts, B level podcasts or anything below that? I I do think that that actually matters. I would rather be on three great podcasts than a hundred podcasts that all have 10 listeners. Um, it's not about volume. It's about who can move volume and, so for me, I would spend as much time as possible. Again, if you did like, so perfect scenario, you got Anthony Bourdain to write the forward for your travel book. Now, who is the biggest travel podcast out there? Is it someone from Travelocity? Is it, you know, trying to get on Tim Ferriss's show? Is it trying to get on, you know, what whatever show that it is, having Anthony Bourdain, having wrote the forward, having it be on Morgan James or Penguin or HarperCollins or whoever it is. Now, when you go to Tim, like now, again, you have some credibility coming into it. Um, also saying that, yeah, and actually uh, there's a chapter that didn't make it in the book that I'd love to give you for free to post on your site. Well, now there's something exclusive that is just to them that they get to share. It's, you know, and, and so, you know, how can you, again, come at that line where you're not giving him the same thing? One of the biggest things uh, Lewis House told us, because we we wanted to be on his podcast, obviously. We were like, hey, you're, we're putting you in the show. Can you put us on the podcast? Um, and he bluntly told us no. Uh, uh, but he gave us a really good reason why. And he goes, because I looked you guys up before you came here. You've been on like 70 different podcasts. So I don't want you on my show because you've already said what you, you've already said those things. I want to get people on my podcast that people have never seen before, that people wouldn't expect on the podcast, that people are going to go, holy crap, how'd he get him on the podcast? Not like, oh yeah, Greg, he's been interviewed, you know, a hundred times on, you know, all these different shows. And he kind of tells the same rapper in a rock band story and he tells this, and he tells that. And so the same day that we were there, he had meatloaf on his show. You know, the, I, I can do anything for love. Um, and uh, but so thank so you again, for that, ha- by the way, that was, yeah, exactly. that was amazing. That was, that's, that's the soundbite that's going to go viral. Um, but uh, but so so thinking about how can you come from a different angle and look at quality media as opposed to quantity media? I think a big mistake that you can make would be getting somebody to book you on 100 podcasts that all have 10 listeners because you think that getting on 100 podcasts is going to make the difference. I would spend 100 times the effort to get on the two or three that matter that are going to really move books that are going to help you sell things. Um, <clears throat> secondarily, I would look at you know, uh, some unconventional stuff. So can you get in more traditional magazines? Are there email lists that you can go and purchase that have to do with what you're doing? Like, can you go to making this up? Can you go to Expedia.com or Priceline.com or Travelocity and buy their email list and send an email like, you know, uh, of, uh, and they have these metrics. They know everyone's age because when you go buy your plane ticket, you know what you give them, your birth date. So they know, you know, uh, if you're, you know, you don't need to send an email to 75 year old, you know, single female travelers. So can you buy an email that they will send out on your behalf and be like, 
hey, if you're interested in traveling, you'd love Matt Wilson's new book. Click here to check it out. And maybe does that email go out to a million people? Five million people, twenty. Like I don't know how big their list is, but you know that is a way to get people in front of a lot of people. You send them to a landing page where they opt in to get a free chapter, uh, and then you know you're giving them some cool stuff. You're you're teaching them a webinar, and then there's book bonuses and kind of the whole song and dance. But that's unconventional because there's no one looking at. Well, I'm going to spend my own money to go buy an email from Expedia.com and everyone who's under thirty uh, who wants to travel. And I'm going to send them an email about this new book. So again, I think that's it's, it's just thinking a little bit outside of the box and trying not to do what everyone else does. Um, good friend Sally Hogshead, uh, she was just in the studio a couple of weeks ago, uh, love her to death. And she says that better isn't always better. Different is better than better. Um, because everyone kind of claims to be different. And, you know, you have a travel company. Well, guess what? There's a million other travel companies, you know? Um, So it's not being just 10% better than the next travel company. You guys are different. You take people on experiences, which is different than just booking someone's flight, sending them to Costa Rica for three days. You give them this experience, this community, you're different. So better isn't better. Different is better. So when you're launching your book, how can you do something different? Don't just copy what Gary Vee did and do it 5% 5% better because it's already been done. They've already seen it. Uh, oh, I know what's coming. You know, I think in the internet marketing space, like product launches got really dull and bad because everyone knew what was coming three videos and then a sales video, three videos. And it's like, I know what's coming. Like I already know. So I don't have to watch the three videos. I'll just wait till the sales video. Uh, so whether your video was 5% better, 10% better, whether your product was hundred percent better, didn't matter because people already said, Oh, I've already seen this. I know what's coming. Um, and as soon as they say, I've already seen this, I know what's coming. You've lost from a marketing standpoint because we don't want just the same, but better. We want new um, you know, like we don't want, uh, a different car insurance company. We want a new car insurance company. We don't want a better car. We want a new car. So we always want something new and different, not necessarily better. So, uh, kind of got off track there, but on the book side, I think that, that it's really important to be different rather than just, you know, oh yeah, when Tim Ferriss launches his book, he was on 18 podcasts. So I'm going to be on 20. Like, I don't think that that's the multiplier effect. How can you be different rather than just better? No, I, I love it. And you're making it actionable for the people listening who might not be in my shoes looking to, to launch a book. But the car example is the perfect example with Tesla, right? Yeah. Every year we come out with the 2018, then the 2019, and they're they're not even 5% better than every new right. model. Everything's like 0.5% better. And okay, yeah, it's the same old thing year after year after year. And then someone stripped down the car and started it from scratch. And then all of a sudden, holy shit, the thing Right. I want a different car, not just a better car. And even just, you know, so uh, most people, so I, I, have a, I have a new truck, uh, an F-150, love it to death. Um, but I had a, an Audi before it. Now, I could have got just the new version, uh, the different version of the Audi. But no, I wanted something completely different. And I went for a truck. It's how people, we, we make all those kinds of decisions, right? I think it's why we're disappointed with Apple right now because they're making their phone just incrementally better. Where in the beginning, it was like, holy crap, there's a new iPhone and it does all these amazing things. Now we're just like, that was kind of lackluster. You know, sure. eh, it was just, it was just a little bit, it's a little bit better. Is it worth me now spending another thousand dollars for a little bit better? And I think, you know, Google and Microsoft and, uh, on the Android side, they're making different phones and which is why they have a bigger international market share, the whole deal and the different price points, but it's different rather than just 10% better, 5% better. That that's awesome. Uh, Greg, if uh, I know we're, we're coming close to wrapping up here, but if someone out there is listening and they want to change the game in their perspective industries, they want to not just be better, but they want to be completely different when it comes to their own personal brands and, and personal brands have crossover to, you know, if you're working on a bigger brand and, and I'm going to you specifically on the personal branding side of things, because you've done so much with uh, celebrity branding, what would you tell people out there? So it's this, the lamest answer that is the truest answer, which is be more of yourself. Um, don't be afraid to hide some of the things that make you who you are. Uh, Every time that I've tried to hide who I am because I'm going like, so when I went after like financial advisors, every video I shot, I was in a suit and I was formal and I was like, hey, if you want to get video, you know, do step one, step two, step three. As soon as I was like, this is freaking stupid. Like I'm sacrificing who I am to make a buck. As soon as I became really comfortable with being Greg and 
look, like I'm a hip hop kid. Like I talk, like I, I don't say, hello, Matt, how are you today? I'm like, yo, what's up, dude? And as soon as I started talking like that, like how I actually talk, how I actually feel, bringing in weird things. Like I'm huge into like DC comics. Like I love Arrow comics, Green Arrow. Like it's the stupidest thing in the world. I do archery. I'm into Ninja Warrior. I know last time we hung out, like you were getting your CrossFit level one and like I'm into I'm into that and I talk about it. I just did like a mud race last week and I bring all of that into my personal brand because that's who I am and it makes me – it's so much easier to be me rather than this pedestal version or this fake version or this version made for TV it is way harder to do than it sounds because we're always second guessing ourselves. We're insecure. We think that if, Oh, like I just talked about comic books to lawyers, like they're going to think I'm an idiot or they're going to, they're not going to hire me. And the exact opposite happens because guess what? They're into weird shit too, right? It might not be comic books. It might be, they're into weird teas from India and they import all that. Like, but we're all into weird shit. You know, like we all have these, these things that, that drive us, that move us forward and they connect us more than they separate us. Because as soon as they go, Oh dude, Greg's just a real person. Uh, it creates this bond. It creates this connection. I will tell you that, you know, shooting, I do a lot of video work for clients. Uh, it is really hard for them to get comfortable on camera because they think that they need to be five, 10, 20 steps above. They think they need to be perfect. They think that if their one hair is out of place, that people are going to go, you know what, Matt? dude, I can't watch your video because you got one hair that's sticking up right now. Like yeah. that is never, that has never happened. And guess what? If it ever does happen, that dude's a piece of S and you don't want him like watching your videos anyway. So we need to stop thinking about how people are going to perceive us and just be us, just be the person that we are authentically being. And our brand will grow exponentially because of it, because you're going to attract all the people that you actually want in your life, clients that you actually want to talk to, you want to hang out with. Like, I love the brand that you guys have created because when you go on these trips, I can see how much fun you're freaking having. You're not like, ah, crap, I got some clients coming in. I got to take them surfing and this is going to suck. And like, no, you're like, dude, I'm stoked. I got 10 new people, 20 new people coming in. I'm going to show them how to surf and we're going to do some yoga stuff and I'm going to show them this cool restaurant. And like, these are my people because you were you. You didn't sell them on some bullshit. You sold them on, we're under 30 experiences. This is what we got. When you're Greg, like this is what you get. If you hire me to do your video, you're coming in the studio and you're getting me and I'm behind the camera going, oh dude, that was freaking terrible. Like, let's roll that back. Let's do it again. Like, yeah, we're listening to hip hop music. We got the beats on in the background. Like be authentically you and things will change. Um, now it doesn't mean that you air out your dirty laundry. It doesn't mean that you're like bitching, whining and complaining about like your husband and your wife and the, your, you know, but when you start sharing and being who you authentically are, things get so much better for you. Uh, and I see it at, you know, the lowest level. I see it at the highest level. You know, you get Jack Canfield in a room, you know, like he's just authentically him and he tells some funny jokes, you know, like he's like, there's like, dude, this dude is just a dude like me. He just happens to have sold 500 million books, you know, but we're all just people and we're afraid to be ourselves. Easier said than done. And it's cliche advice. But the more you can add your authentic personality into your business, into your marketing, into your videos, into your emails, the more people are going to connect with you, see you as a human, buy stuff from you and want to be around you, which is ultimately what you want. I mean, the majority of my clients are repeat clients because they like hanging out with me and I like hanging out with them. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing when it all comes together. That's awesome. And if you're not who you want to be, you can go out and change that. And that's advice for myself because we all get into ruts right totally. and we all we all don't express ourselves the way that we we always want to and uh you get used to being you know fitting into the box because culture is and society is always pushing on you trying to push you back in that box trying to make you conform and people fall into that including myself and uh yeah, it's really good to check in on that. Greg, that's that's awesome advice. Uh, man, where can people go and get more of this? Because I, <laughs> I want to down. You mentioned Amazon Prime. Are you, are you guys on Amazon Prime? Is we are on right? Amazon Prime, man. Yeah, so I, I think one of the coolest things you could do if you want to see the reality show, we spent the last 18 months uh, of our lives filming this. Uh, there's four episodes now. We're up there live now. We got two more that are coming. Uh, if you just search for Ambitious Adventures on Amazon Prime, whether you're on Apple TV or Roku or you're watching on your computer or uh, Amazon Fire Stick or Chrome Stick or whatever you're using, uh, that, that'd be the coolest place 
place to, to check out what we've done. Again, uh, the first episode is all about personal branding. So you'll learn a ton. Uh, we got Lewis Howes on there, Jack Canfield talking about the difference between building chicken soup for the soul and building the Jack Canfield brand. Uh, Carlo Alberto Oreccia, who uh, was hired by Tastemade to go all around the world for a pizza show. So how he built a personal brand all around pizza. Uh, uh, Jake Paul, whether you love him or hate him, you can still learn a hell of a lot from him. He's one of the top uh, YouTubers on the planet, full of controversy, but he's built you know a brand where YouTube's paying him you know more than seven figures a month in ad revenue. So uh, again, you can learn something from him. Uh, but yeah, check that out. Uh, I, I'm just Greg Roulette on all the social medias. Uh, the Instagram and the Facebook is, is where I like to hang out. Uh, and if you want to learn more about you know some of the things that we do, uh, you can check out ambitious.com. We got all the services and stuff up on there where we help people to create their own TV shows. We help people to create videos, social media stuff. Uh, like you said, like books and like we, we do so much crap, but you know, just follow, hang out and, uh, and we'll have a good time. Good stuff, man. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, yeah, highly recommend your, your stuff to all of our listeners. And I hope they, they reach out to you and interact with you. Thanks, my man. It's always fun. If you have been a listener for a while, you probably know my own personal story, my hero's journey, if you will, about quitting my life in New York, living on Wall Street, being stressed out, not taking care of myself and going on an epic quest to Iceland that completely changed the course of my life. And you've probably heard about our travel company for young people ages 21 to 35, under 30 experiences. Now, this is not a commercial for under 30 experiences. However, I want to share with you the magic of what travel has done for me. You guys have heard me talk about this on different podcasts, speaking all over the world about this and sharing what I learned about myself and about the world with other people, uh, but mainly focused inwardly when I traveled to be able to gain experiences, to be able to you know, really just experience new things that gave me a completely different perspective and propelled me to start taking care of myself mentally, physically, and spiritually, something that I really had never considered before. So if you are interested on going on your own epic quest, I would love to get to know you better this fall in Bali, Indonesia, September 30th on our yoga and mindfulness retreats. If you have never practiced yoga in your entire life, if you don't know what mindfulness is whatsoever, I really don't care. I think you should come anyway and come to the rice paddies of a, a magical place in Indonesia, Villa Awang Awang, where we're going to give you a real cultural experience with our partners there on the ground, seeing what it's actually life, like to, to be part of a community uh, there in the Balinese village where we're going to stay. Yes, we're going to practice yoga, eat as healthy as we can, get to know one another, and just have an amazing experience and see what comes out of it. So if you want to be part of this, I suggest you check out under30experiences.com and click the link to the yoga retreat on Bali if you have heard the previous podcast with Luz Garcia, our amazing yoga teacher. She's going to be there. She has over 1,500 hours of yoga teacher training. And I'd really love the opportunity to get to know you, to get to hear your story and uh, share a week with you in someplace amazing. So if you want to take, if you want to commit to changing your life for the better, come join us this fall in Bali.